Welcome to the Greatness Garage Podcast, the place where small businesses get big answers. I'm your host, Brad Orvis, founder of Epitome Coaching Consulting, and with me is Jim Keener, entrepreneur extraordinaire. This is a different kind of podcast to get a different kind of result. Our mission is to serve you, the listener, to allow you to be the greatest business owner you can be. Welcome, everyone, to the Greatness Garage Podcast. We are so excited today to have Patrick Ellis with us. Patrick has been in the chamber industry since 2007. He has a ton of experience. Um, he's right now the president and CEO of Murrieta Chamber of Commerce, and just an amazing wealth of experience and information in there. And it has been a true joy to get to know him and really share some of his insight. And the way you listen to the way that they run their chamber and the way that they serve for small businesses is absolutely amazing. You know, Patrick was recognized as accredited as a chamber executive in 2020 for his dedication to upgrade his organization management skills. This guy's got a ton of talent. And welcome, Patrick, to the show, man. Thanks, Thank Patrick. We're glad to have you. Appreciate it. How you doing? So, Patrick, you know, one of the big things that we are coming out with was the question about PPP, right? That Paycheck Protection Program. It's all over. Everybody's wondering about it. What are some of your biggest, you know, things for small businesses, concerns, or, you know, what is the thing they need to be ready for, prepared for right that's now? A, that's a great question. And we've been talking a lot about this the last few weeks, obviously, ever since it kind of got announced. Some of the challenges with the PPP right now, obviously, is there's no funding. So if you're in line, stay in line, still get ready. Obviously, right now, we're hoping that uh, this week we'll get some reauthorization of money into that program, which would be huge. But some of what we're finding is is that the challenge to small business is that they may not have as great a relationship with their banks, we've learned this past week, as some other companies do, which gives them an opportunity mm-hmm. to get in line ahead of others. Um, but for those that have been able to get the funding, uh, there are some really key things that they need to kind of look for and do right now. Uh, we had a, a, quite a few discussions this past week about this because small businesses, any size business, really needs to track their money effectively and efficiently. And the way this is going to be yeah. critical with this program is, is the PPP. You get eight weeks of the 10 weeks that can be forgiven out of that, out of that loan if you track and spend that money accordingly. So a couple of things we've been talking about doing is, is, if you do get the PPP loan, open up a second bank account. Open up a, just a regular checking account. Don't put it in your general bank account because you want to track these funds for what they need because you have to use 75% of it, a minimum of 75% of it on payroll costs to get it waived. So if you can put it into a second account, you can track that much more effectively to get that done. Um, and when you do that, then also talk to your accountant, your bookkeeper, whoever it is that you're working with to make sure that you are setting this up, this up. Because a lot of times, you know, I know when I was in business for myself, sometimes you're just going and you just, you figure, I'm going to figure out all that stuff later. This is one of those ones where if you really want this money to be forgiven, you've got to set it up in the beginning effectively. So planning it is going to be critical. 
Well, as soon as you said the accounting part, I think some of the people <laughs> fell off their chairs or pulled their hair all out, right? And they're going like, oh my, like, you know, it is funny. A lot of the clients that I start working with a lot of times, I say, hey, how do you know if your, your, your money is doing better? And the checking counts higher or lower yeah. the month before, right? And they're, they're not going to yeah. love this yeah. one, are they? Yeah. yeah. So uh, two things that you brought up that really were interesting to me and I would love you to expand on were, um, one was that relationship with the banks, right? You know, and the big banks seem to have, have in a little bit, maybe kick some of us smaller mm-hmm. to the side. And, and not only that, um, some banks have stepped up in amazing serving ways. You know, they said, hey, some who don't even have an account with you right now, they're, they're trying to put their own account right. members first, yep. which I get that. That makes sense. But they're even open up and giving stuff. So if we have space, we're letting you apply through us. Um, you know, in that kind of relationship, you know, wh- what are you seeing there? What should, what should our small businesses, what should we learn from this? So, and it's an interesting dynamic because you have to think about it from first a business standpoint, right? So the banks are businesses just like the rest of us are, regardless how big yeah. or small they are. And just like we as business owners, we know it's much more effective if we take care of our current clients or our regulars on a regular basis um, ahead of others because they're the ones that are coming and spending money on a regular basis. So the banks think about it the same thing. Those businesses that there are, are already their clients who already have that credit line or already have a loan, those are their best clients and they got to take care of those ones first. Plus, I mean, you got to think about it from a financial standpoint is if you've got a business and they've got a loan out there already, you got to protect that loan. And so you want to put them in a position to get money to make sure that that loan doesn't default either. So it, it, it's a, it's, it's a hard thing from a small business to kind of really, you know, kind of understand it or, or feel empathetic about it. And that's totally understandable, but you just have to, from a strictly business point, you have to think about that. Well, and I think you're right there, but I think also too, right. It, it kind of reminds everybody that, Again, this is a, a, a lesson learned post, but have a relationship with your bank yeah. and banker, right? You should have said that I should have known that the direct number to call the second somebody said these three letters right. and, and get yeah, a hold of them, I mean, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're a business person, you should know at least one person where your business accounts are at your bank on a regular basis. You should have somebody in that bank that you have their cell phone number. Right. Because if you run into an emergency as a business owner, regardless of it being a global pandemic, you just run into an issue. You need to know you've got somebody you can call that can answer a question for you on the spot. So, yes, having a relationship, a true relationship. And and unfortunately, we've gotten away from that. The one thing that I, I will yeah. say, though, is I think that a lot of people are starting to see is a a greater uh, uh, light is being shown on how important smaller community banks or smaller credit unions can be to businesses because of that access, because of that ability to have those discussions one-on-one to get somebody's cell phone when you need it kind of thing. Um, we're seeing that here in our area, a lot of the, the smaller community banks, and I mean, even maybe a regional bank, right? A Southern California bank is doing way, way better than, than the local Wells Fargo or Chase, right? Because they just know, they know the communities that they serve, they know them better than those, and they're much more willing to, you know, put, put their blood, sweat, and tears into it because these are people they work with every day. 
Yeah, it's their community. And, and, and you know, it even talks into, we talk about small businesses versus big businesses in general. Their ability, their nimbleness, their ability to adapt to changing market trends to, to you know, and they're, and these small banks are doing it. And so yeah. kudos, kudos to them, yeah. huh? So. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, I'll give you awesome. a perfect example is, is um, our, one of our local banks here, Pacific Premier Bank, Southern California Bank, private bank, um, but they're like a community bank. They went and they said, you know, even though, you know, and there's a lot of banks decided not to do this because they're not really making any money off this. They're just very breaking mm-hmm. even kind of thing. But they said, we're going to do this no matter what. Even before they kind of came out and they changed the half percent to one percent to just make it a break even for banks. They said, look, this is the right thing to do. We're going to do it regardless, you know. And those are the kinds of entities that you sometimes, you know, want to work with because they they see the greater good in everything. Yeah, that's a great point. I completely I think that it's a good marketing tool for them. You know, if I was in the situation, that would be the time to go out and get new clients and, and really build your work right there. That's a great opportunity for a bank. Yeah, without a doubt, yes. I got a, I got a question. So, you know, we've had – Go ahead. Yeah. Go so ahead. my question is this: What what other alternatives, Patrick, are you providing your members of the chamber, like people that don't qualify for PPP or people that furloughed a lot of employees and they they really want to contract their business and they don't see it coming back as fast? And I know there's some stipulations regarding percentages that need to be used. Um, so so what advice are you giving your members when they're coming to you and saying, Hey, Pat, I see this as uh, as an opportunity to to really scale back and get lean and mean and then reattack. How would you use that money, and what is an alternative in the event that they don't qualify for PPP? Um, great question. And actually, um, so you also have the EIDL loans, the you know the EIDL loans as well, um, both of which can be utilized for um, these different purposes. So even if you scale back, if you think about it from uh, a, just a loan perspective, even the PPP itself, granted, it's you know, you only qualify based on whatever your past record is as far as your payroll costs. But whatever that amount is, even if you don't go at it from the standpoint of utilizing it for payroll, it's still a good loan. It's only a two-year loan, but it's still, it's a 1% loan. I mean, it's it's kind of almost like free money, um, but you it's a, it's a shorter term. The idle loan, though, is a phenomenal loan. If you think about it and you qualify for it, I'll, Although the funds are used up right now, but if you're, if you have the, your application in, you know, 3.75% 30 year loan, that is, you can't beat that on the market. I mean, that's an incredible loan. So if you can get that, and, and I've talked to a couple of our member businesses here that are doing that, who have, who were at that point where they're getting ready to grow their business, they're getting ready to invest in infrastructure and, and what have you. And, they looked at the idle loan and this is like, we couldn't have asked for a better time for this. So there are those that are taking advantage of that as well. The other part too, that really a lot of people aren't even talking about is if you either currently have a, an SBA loan, a 7A or, or you know, even one of their standard loans right now, the, those loans that are already in place, they're paying the six months on paying, making the six month payments for them. They're not deferring it. They're not adding it on. They're paying six months worth of, payments for you. On top of that, if you have the ability, which it's hard and a lot of people know this, but if you have the ability to, to apply for and get one of the standard SBA loans, if you do that before September, that loan, they'll make the first six payments for you. That's 
I mean, amazing. That's, that's sure. again, those are wow. great loans that are out there. And so there's opportunity there for growth. If there were businesses who were in that point that they know once the doors open, I'm going to make, I'm going to have an opportunity to really just expand my company. Right now is the time to take advantage of those opportunities that are there for them. That's great. And is credit isn't really used, right? Because I had a guy qualify for it with a 440 uh, FICO score. He said that credit wasn't part of the equation. So I was blown away, but this guy couldn't get a loan typically, but he qualified because they said that it didn't have anything to do with this credit. Is that correct? So that is for, for the PPP and the idle. They don't really, they don't use the, the credit or the, or securing uh, the standard loans. They still do. So the standard loans are still hard to get, but if you can get them, you couldn't ask for a better time to get them. But those other two loans, yeah, they're not tied to credit at all. Wow. That's amazing. I don't think a lot of people know that. That's great. That's great. Great info. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. All the stuff that people thought was in their way, they've done a great job of clearing that path. Say, we're just here to help. Just help, yeah. help. You know, and I think there's a lot of people where it can't be yeah. this. You yeah. know, it is. And that know? was the one thing I was telling everyone. I, I mean, I had a couple of our businesses come to me and say, like, you know, we don't, you know, there's no need. We don't really need to right now. And I said, look, here's the deal. The idea of the PPP is to pay for somebody to work. So even if you're not downsizing, right, fine, go out and hire a part-time person. There's, you know, there's 22 million people who do not have a job right now. Go hire someone part-time, expand your business, grow your business, use that money to do what's good for your business. Just because it, you don't need it for what you're doing at the moment, why should that hold you and your company back from growing? What about you're putting yourself aside, Brad? What about putting no, go ahead, a, go, go right ahead. Of, a lot of uh, small entrepreneurs, they don't have themselves on payroll, right? They have their employees and they, they hold themselves out. So wouldn't it be a good time to put themselves on payroll and the people that are participating in their, in their household as well? Yes, exactly. And there's a lot that have done that. They, they've either, they've, they've done that. They've, they basically have put themselves on payroll. Um, the other great thing too, that happened last Friday was they opened up the doors for, uh, uh, independent contractors, uh, self-employed to apply as well. And all you're doing there is, is obviously you don't pay yourself payroll, but you can use your P and L and basically figure there's a way to figure out what your, your payroll is per se based on, on your taxes. Um, it's a very simple formula. They go through it with you. And so that opened up another window to a lot of wow. those types of people as well. And again, they can use that money for to grow their business. They can use it to hire someone on for their business. It just depends on wh- which way it is. Um, but I kept telling everyone, I'm like, take advantage of this. You don't have to necessarily, if you're doing okay, that's great. But again, hire someone else on, you know, sure. grow your business more. Yeah, and so people who are wondering that the small, uh, you know, sole proprietors that that form is a 1040C, right? Or you know, yeah, that's C. right. Yes, yeah, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, so yeah, that's it. So you know, uh, Jim, you brought up some really good points into in so one of the things we're looking at is this is taking care of the, this paycheck, the payroll. We're getting some really significant relief here. What if I have a ton of overhead, right? And idols, you said, is out of cash, and oh. What do we? What, what do you think the small business should be With doing? The overhead? Was that directly yeah. to me or to Patrick? Uh, both. Go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You go. You go first, Jim. 
Well, I mean, if I had a ton of debt and I was in a, I would renegotiate my debt. I mean, now is the time um, to renegotiate the debt and try to ask for forbearance or to, um, you know, that's that's probably the recommendation that I would give initially if I had a lot of debt at this time and we were in this this environment happened. That's exactly what I do. I'd renegotiate the debt. I'm actually sitting in the power position. If uh, the way I was taught is if you owe the Bank of England a million dollars and you don't pay them, they'll put you in jail. If you owe them a hundred million, they put you on the board. So it's a good, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good opportunity to renegotiate your debt. So that would be my advice. Go ahead, Patrick. And, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I just, uh, I did a, uh, a zoom interview with a couple of our local uh, commercial brokers kind of in that same role, right. As like, how do you, you know, how do you go about dealing with, you know, ish, you know, paying for your, your rent or, or those types of things. And just having that open communication is everything. Cause right now we're all in the same boat. The people who own the piece of property, the people who, you know, prop that manage the piece of property, we're yeah. all in the same boat. If you take, if you just go online and you take the advice of all these, you know, uh, talking heads that kind of say, Oh, don't pay anything for a year. You're just, you're setting yourself up for, for a, a really an unintended consequence. If you mm-hmm. have open discussions, most of these people are all in the same boat and they're more than willing to work with you because they want everyone, they, they want everyone to come out on the, on the other end because if, if you don't, then they've lost a customer and now they got to replace that with what's going to be a challenge to replace any space, you know, in the, in the, in the coming future. Right. That's a great, well, and how, how often do we tell our employees, our people, don't bring problems, bring yeah. an idea, bring a solution. And the same thing applies yeah, to us, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about the funding here. Um, what for you, Patrick, in, in talking with your membership, what is the biggest concern that you have outside of the payroll and overhead funding? What's the biggest concern that they're facing? Right now, one of the biggest things is the uncertainty. It's um, right now you have a lot of businesses that are closed. So one is they don't, I mean, all of us who are in business, we're, we're very structured by a calendar, right? Everything is based on certain dates um, for us, whether it has to do with events or has to do with, um, you know, planning for uh, strategic planning or any of these different types of things. It's all predicated on certain dates throughout the year right now all of that's out the of the window right like we always said you know is how many how many days are there in the month and you know most most months have you know you know 30 oh. days or 31 but the month of march has 3742 um that's where we're at right now because we don't know when this month is going to end and so that uncertainty has challenged so many businesses because they can't plan effectively. Um, and so that is one of the biggest things. The second part of that too, that, but now is, is we're starting to see some guidelines, right? So we're starting to see from the federal government. We're starting to see from some of our state legislate or state governors, this idea of how we're going to reopen, how we're going to start doing this. So now you've got to start planning all these different things and you've got to start figuring out is how do I, set up my business to work within these new parameters, right? So if you're in California, they're talking about now restaurants, when they do reopen, you know, you might have to have half the tables you had prior to when you close the doors. Well, how do you 
how do you make that work? How do you make the numbers work? How do you make the employment work? There's so many different things. So we're starting to get enough information where businesses can start to plan. And that's where we're at now is, is trying to effectively get businesses to really start really putting a plan in place because if it, whether it's two weeks, four weeks or six weeks down the road, whenever that is, that you can open your doors. You want to be ready. You don't want to wait till they open the doors and then go, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> Here comes yeah, the flood, yeah. right? So. But that's good. That's a good question. You know, uh, what advice, Brad, do you think you would, you would give if I said, hey, my restaurant, I, I had 30 tables and I had to turn my tables three times a night to break even. Anything over that is profit. And now they're telling me I need 15 tables. You know, I would say right now, I think a lot of restaurants um, are, are really learning the value of online. And it's funny, you know, I used to be in the, the food service distribution industry. And so um, I talked to a friend of mine that's still in that. And he, I, he asked, you know, what are you seeing? And he said, you know, the, the, the chains were the people who were formalized to be online, to have that kind of image of safety, cleanliness, that type of kind of structure to it are doing actually really well. They're actually saying, hey, I've got, I've cut all of my wait staff labor out and I'm, I'm, they're coming to pick up and I don't have cleanup and I don't have a lot of things. So they're actually finding it's doing well. So what I would say is get in there and figure this out now. You know, get that imagery of, of, of cleanliness so they know when they come up, they don't have to be worried about the product that they're picking up. And that's always been an important thing. People want to eat someplace clean. So I would say from that standpoint, make sure you're delivering really well there. Also get the technology simple. You know, I mean, I think it, right now for some, um, th- th- there's cheaper, like Uber Eats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's expensive for a, for a restaurant to do that. And I think there's going to be cheaper options and more economical options coming forward. But I think right now, get it out, get it simple for people to use and so that they can come through and, and start using that. When you come through turning your tables three times anymore, may not be needed. You know, you start coming through and say, I mean, think about this. If you could take your wait time, and go from a 30-minute wait time down to a, a five-minute wait time because people have started using the option to carry out, which the Applebee's and the, other, the chains have figured this out a while ago. Um, you don't need to turn them as fast. And, and you're going to have a better experience. You're going to have your overhead's going to shift a bit. I think there's a ton of opportunity there. I like it. You know, one of the things that we did is pivot to picnics. So we do Picnic Hawaii. We launched that brand. Mm. And so that's a very intimate thing. It's not at, it's not in the restaurant. And, we you know, we do a lot of catering in Hawaii as well. And so when catering is going down, we're now focusing on elopement packages. We're focusing on picnics. We're focusing on more intimate gatherings, less than 10. And so because we used to do these large catering events, we no longer do those. Uh, with the shutdown. So we pivoted into that space. We've been working with the Four Seasons, which I have a long relationship with, uh, with the Coa Forest to try to, how else we can use something. Cause they're trying to get their people out of the restaurants. They have guests staying there. Where do they yeah. move them? Who they, where they, can they go? And so we're looking at additional opportunities as well as a, a product. You know, we take some of the products that we've had in the farmer's markets for years and we're now packaging them and taking those to retail. So those are three things that we've done to pivot away from the, the catering aspect and still be able to provide service to the community. I, that's great to me. I just meeting I, where yeah, they're yeah, at. As right? I said, yeah. that's going to be critical too for all businesses, but especially the restaurant businesses being an innovative, right? We restaurants that have been the same thing over and over for so long, but innovation has to come into play right now, even with this industry, you know, we have a, a, a local, uh, 
pizza pizza salad sandwich place here in in Murrieta. It's been here for 25 years, and they were like, okay, so what is something new or different we can do? So they started right when the shutdown happened. They started doing uh, take home take home pizza kits. So you'd go in, you'd buy your. Oh. They'd already have the fresh dough made for you. They'd have the sauce, cheese, and the toppings, and they take it home. But then on top of that, they would say, okay, take it home, but take a picture of it, make a video, post it on Facebook, whatever, tag us in it. It blew up. I mean, they were doing like, I want to say like 300 pizza kits a day at one point because it just, people wanted to do this. But that's the kind of thing that you need to do is how do you take that to the next level? And Jim, I think that's a fantastic idea. The idea of these picnics is awesome. What a great idea to be able to just walk in, you go and you pick up your full picnic and you and your family go to the park and sit down and eat just this prepared meal. That's, that's brilliant. That's one of the things that we did. You can check it out. Picnichawaii.com. I love <laughs> you it. Actually see what we're doing. Oh, great. Yeah. I love it. Great plug. Awesome. Here. Well, you know, and, and you, yeah. And you look at the two and you know, I, I love the innovation that these stories are all over the place. You know, I have a client who, who she started doing um, online bingo, just one to get the fun out of it. But then it, again, same thing. It blew up because people are like, this is great. And they get discounts cut based on winning. And you know, everybody loves to win something, right? It's like your Vegas on, on, uh, on Facebook, but you can, you know, um, but yeah, that's, that's just amazing. And I love hearing all the different innovative stories. And so that kind of dovetails a little bit nicely to, you know, one of the, the things that I, um, I love so much about you, Patrick, is, is just in a, the couple conversations that we've been able to have is that the way in which you direct your chamber, I, I was extremely proud of the way that your chamber serves its, uh, its clients. And, so one thing I want to ask you is um, what do you, and this is kind of for all the chambers out there to kind of, maybe they can get something from this, but what is or should be the role of the chamber in all of this? Ooh, that's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, well, you know, one of the things, so we always say in, in our industry is, is, you know, if you've seen one chamber, you've seen one chamber because all chambers function differently. Um, yet we all do have some things that we all kind of strive to do. So obviously, you know, uh, networking, uh, community support, business support, those kinds of things are critical to what we do. Um, how do we do that now in this new normal, right? Um, you know, uh, we do mixers differently now. We do virtual mixers, right? We got, you've got to think about different ways, but part of it is, 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 um, it, the way I, I have thought about it for a long time, but I didn't, it was like one of those things is I had talked with my staff about this eight years ago and then kind of had just, it's one of those things that's always in the back of your mind, but you forget about it until someone just throws it right back in your face. And this happened to me a couple of weeks ago on, on a zoom call is someone had said is you get paid based on the value you create. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, because that's the way I've built our chamber yep. is it, we have to create value. If you do not create value, nobody's going to invest in it. So every business is like that. So we have to just think about is, is we still, we have huge value. How do we then get that to people effectively? So we just have to look at different opportunities like, you know, zoom calls, like opportunities to do one-on-ones this way. Um, whatever those types of things are. And in our area, the other part, too, is is economic. We kind of have been extremely engaged in economic development. I believe, personally, all chambers should be 100% fully engaged in economic development in the communities they serve. 
um, whether it's for business retention, expansion, attraction, all aspects of it. I think it's critical and even more so now because municipalities are going to be hurting big time right now, right? Because like in the state of California, they're not getting sales tax now for probably the next 12 months because the governor set that down. That, that destroys some, you know, communities per se. Um, for areas that are dependent on tourism, no TOT taxes right now because the hotels are basically shut down. So your revenues are dropping dramatically. So all municipalities are going to need as much help as they can get in economic development and chambers have got to play a huge role in that. Um, we've been, have been since day one and we will continue to do that and grow and do as much more as we can. So that is a, that's a huge aspect of what we do. The other part of it that I think and where we're going to get more involved and we have, this is something we've been a little involved with, but I think we need to expand more is, is we have our own foundation. We're going to have to figure out ways to go out and secure money through that 501c3 to utilize it to do good in our community. So whether it's uh, creating opportunities for uh, micro lending to small businesses, whether it's, um, you know, uh, finding opportunities to create grants for different uh, ventures that might happen. Um, those are the other things that we need to start thinking about. Um, you know, but every different communities are different. You know, the way our communities are here are different than the communities are in Hawaii or different than the communities are in Ohio. And so, um, you know, the one thing too that we all need to be striving for, um, and, and my friend Nathan, who, who runs the Greater Fresno Chamber, says this all the time, and he's so right, is um, all chambers should be engaged in advocacy. Um, and a lot of chambers feel afraid to do that, but you have to. You have to advocate for your business members. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And if there ever was a time that you have to right now is that time. We have to be fighting both on a federal level and a state level, as well as in your local communities for businesses. You got to be fighting to get them the funds that they need to survive the, the, you know, the deferments, whatever it might be. You know, we have, uh, we run our tourism, uh, group here in, in Murrieta, you know, and we were the ones that went to the city and asked for deferment on TOT because, you know, they're like literally, you have one of them that's completely shut down and three of them that are like just on a skeleton crew because there's very few people there. And most of the ones that are there are the local doctors and nurses because they won't go home and, you know, share what might happen, you know, with their family. Um, these are the kinds of things that chambers need to and have to be doing on a daily basis right now. Yeah. Wow. That was, um, that was good. No, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. I'm thinking, you oh. know, when, when I hear him talk, not only do I think I need to be marketing something with a beard for him, yeah. I mean, that, that, that we need to get him in the beard club for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we're telling our people is make sure that they use the segregated accounts. Like you guys talked about earlier, putting everything in a separate account. And um, making sure that we reach back to the people that we do business with and see if there's any additional value we can provide them. So instead of just providing them one service, is there multiple things we can provide them and ask for referrals and recommendations? I think a lot of people are shy right now through a contraction strategy. They, they've never went through a contraction before. And so everybody has to take on more responsibility when you contract. And then you have to expand your market share or you need to narrowly define your market. And so that decision mm -hmm. has to be made by your leadership team. And sometimes people are going too broad and they're trying to reach too many people. And so they're sprinkling resources around yeah. instead of that laser focus 
and reaching out to that target demographic that impacts their business the most. Like you said, with the pizza kits, right? What a great idea that's been done for 20 years. Take and bake was huge back right. 20 years ago. Yeah. Now it's coming back. But I think yeah. they're turning it into an experience, which is what yeah. we did with the picnics. We changed from providing food and started selling an experience, mm-hmm. something that they can do with their loved ones. And then we started focusing on elopements, saying, hey, you don't need to drop your $25,000, $55,000 wedding. We can do an elopement for a small fee. We're still using the facilities. You still get to get married out by the beach, but you don't have 50 people that you're trying to feed, house, and move around. And so by that small pivot, we're seeing people start to book again and start to come back up because they know it's not going to be forever, but we're making a lot of options and alternatives available that we normally never had. We never had a a buffet-only scenario, right? Now that's what we do. We don't do family style. We only do buffet. And then it's easier for us to handle the way that we operate. And so the guys Mm -hmm. at the Four Seasons, they said, hey, what are you guys doing different? I said, well, we're just strictly buffet. No more service, no more this. We're doing this. And they said, hey, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do exactly the same thing. We're going to make it more presentable, put more time in in making it beautiful. But Mm -hmm. we're going to get people off the line. We're going to let people go through themselves. And so instead of – can you imagine going to Four Seasons and having a buffet? Well, they're having a buffet at the Four (laughs) Seasons. It sounds crazy, but they found the benefit of the model change, right? Because they were looking at it. They're trying to provide this high-end service to this high-end clientele. And they're thinking, well, we're going to have to do this. We're going to spread out tables. And they thought, well, if we just get the distance right and we let them do it and we control the traffic going to the buffet line, we're in a much better situation. And I think it's going to work better for all parties if we innovate our way through this rather than contracting, going in the hole and complaining about what what's going on. I mean, we only can control what we can control, right? Yeah, and so we have right. a very small nucleus that we can control and the rest it's it's up it's up to to somebody else other than us and so we focus on what we can control and then basically they set the rules we get the rules we make the best decisions and then we we get out there and receiving gain some action you know what jim something that you said and, and ties in with what Pat, you know the word advocacy for somebody that stuck with me here too you know and jim you've always done a great job of, of sharing what works and you don't just say hey this is not i've got the answer and i got it over here you share it out there for people and you know as chambers hearing what works and being an advocate not just from from the governmental you know that portion but the, mm-hmm. within each other you know businesses need to learn to ask for help so that the chamber can do its part and help and sh- bring everyone together and say hey let us survive, not you survive and you survive and you three die, you know? And I think that's a um, a great point that you're both for making there. I think yeah, a lot of people are afraid. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt, Patrick. But a lot of people are afraid, right? And here's what they're afraid of. They're afraid that there's some secret sauce or some one secret that if that gets let out or someone finds out about it, that's going to increase competition and that's going to hurt their business. But I'll tell you one thing. I've been doing this a long time, 25 plus years as an entrepreneur, 30 years if you count my, my when I was dabbling when I was a firefighter. But the, in real life, I speak from experience, not my opinion. So I'm telling you exactly what I know that has worked for me or that I've advised other clients and they've, they've received benefit. It's different than what's out in the market because a lot of that information is opinions. There's just, This is what I think you should do. This is what I've done. But they haven't, they haven't done it themselves. They haven't been in the fight themselves and they haven't been out there trying to build these businesses from the ground up. And so I try to speak from experience and keep my opinions to the side. I let the other people that are the, I call them the highly educated people, they can throw down with their opinions, right? Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, and I think, you, you know, that the point of asking the question, I, I always say is that's, 
the the toughest part of uh, what I do on a daily basis is that the a lot of times the business that comes to me and asks the question is they're asking it to me too late. Um, and the, because just yeah. to your point, Jim, is they're afraid to ask it. They're afraid yeah. sometimes they don't want to, they don't, it's that whether it's perception of failure or, um, they don't want to look weak or whatever. And it has nothing to do with that. Um, there's so many businesses I wish that they, and I try to tell people all the time, come and ask me the question. It doesn't make a difference. There's no stupid questions. We've all <laughs> been here, you know, and you know, we all make mistakes. We all do different things, but having that ability to ask the question early so that we can make sure that we get you the information that you need to either change the direction you're going or to, you know, uh, enhance what it is you're doing or support you through what seems like that struggle period. But have asking that question and getting the, the advice that you need to make that difference in your business is so critical in asking it early. Hey Patrick, have you guys have you guys um, provided any templates or tools or recommendations to your members where that they could um, streamline their processes or can like a contraction template? Like, what does that look like? A lot of people have asked me, "Is there a template out there?" And so, no, I'm not aware of one. But in your situation, I thought you know that might be something that they could benefit from is some form of a a template of such. So there's not, and the challenge is because each dip business is so different, you know, um, you know, just like they function differently, you know, whether it has to do with um, staffing wise or, or, or um, facility wise or, or uh, inventory wise, there's so many different variables. It's hard to create one. Um, what we're working on right now is um, kind of the next step, right? So is okay. We don't know. I mean, we'll we'll talk the process through with anyone. We'll give advice based on you know. Um, I I told Brad in the past is, is we would we're willing to sit down. We do roundtables with members if we've got a business member that's struggling with something. You know, we'll say okay, let's schedule a time. You come into the office, and this was before all this. You come into the office, and you sit down with me and my full staff, and tell us what's going on. And all of us come from different expertise. And we can kind of weigh in and help you through some of that process. We'll still do that in, in our current environment. But what we're, what we're trying to put together right now is a plan that says, okay, here's the next steps. Here's what you need to start be planning on for now, right? So you're getting, we're getting closer to the doors being open or open further. What do you need to do? What do you need to plan for right now for when that moment happens? Um, that's the plan that we're putting together right now. Now, how they integrate that into their business is going to be critical, and we got to put that together so it fits all these different types of businesses. Um, but that's where we—that's where we're focused right now and putting that together for our members. And that was one thing I thought was amazing. In that roundtable, you know, and and you know, I'll, I'll tell with my clients. My clients all have a an advisement team or advisement, you know, structure that they have set up. And for every business, I don't care if it's your, if it's your grandma, I don't care if it's your, you know, somebody that you can trust to give you good feedback, honest feedback and say, Hey, here's what you're looking at. And you know what, what you're kind of talking about, you know, we're talking about a, a contraction template, but now we're talking about an expansion template. And I think Jim, you know, you've got a great point. And I think we can work on that offline because there's a list of questions, right? I mean, they're not going to be the same answers. In fact, like you mentioned, they're not right. going to all the same details. 
But there's some list of questions that we should probably get out to our, our, our listeners and the, and the people out there, small businesses, because you got to ask these questions. Otherwise, you're going to try to grow and then have to, you're going to have problems. Yeah, I completely that, you know? agree. So, well, and speaking of, and speaking of that, then, you know, so the one, the last question I really had was how, you know, how do small business needs need to best leverage the chambers? Cause I think it's a two way street. Oh, the chamber doesn't do anything for me. Oh, well, what did you call them and ask them for? Well, nothing. You know, <laughs> so what, what do chamber, what do small businesses need to ask or engage their chamber with? Uh, to provide or create for them to help us all get through this and and really help us yeah. grow out of this. Uh, it's a good it's a good question. The the one thing I always say is is whether it's our chamber or any chamber for that matter, is the the value that we provide to you as your business differs to from business to business. Um, you know, for some businesses, for like say the you know the small home based business, right? A lot of their they're looking for is that networking, that connection. How do I get connected with this person or that person? How do I find my next client or my next, you know, business person? So networking is still going to play a huge role in our industry. Um, it's just making sure we do it in a fashion that fits with the environment that we have to, to, to work with. So that is critical. But how we fit for each business is different because I talked about advocacy. For some of our businesses, advocacy is going to be huge over the next six months. We're probably going to be having to fight with either the city or the county or the state to say, hey, this is way too restrictive. Businesses can't work in this environment. Um, and so those are some of the things that we're going to have to do for some of our small businesses. Now, those aren't the things that they see on an everyday basis, but we it's incumbent on us then to make sure that we're informing them. The other part of where the small business plays a part in that, though, is they need to tell us when they come across something like that, too, because they may see it before we do. So, obviously, we're, we're watching every bit of legislation that goes on, especially in Sacramento or, uh, you know, in Riverside County here. But if a, if a small business finds out something is in, impeding their business prior to us, they need to inform us so we can get on top of it and we can work for them in that regard. Um, but then it's, you know, part of it too is, is community building. You know, we have a, we have a, a good handful of some small from some large businesses here, um, you know, that they, they look at us as that connector within the community and making sure that we're getting the right information out to people that we're helping the small businesses. Um, you know, we've got Abbott who's been in the news a lot with the test kits and stuff. They're right here. They're one of our great members. You know, they're a huge supporter of us because we support small businesses. So there's a lot of different aspects of, of how businesses can leverage the chamber, but they just need to kind of get involved and start asking the questions to see where it is that they need the most help. Because chances are we can help you. It's just we need to know where you need the help. That's a great point. You know, I think that's the common learn the line I heard from you is that this yeah. communication. Communicate to us. We'll communicate back. You know, chambers will communicate back the value that they're creating, um, and so that people know of what's going on out there. So, interesting. Oh, Jim, you got any last questions? Any class? No, I think Patrick's doing a great job. And if you're out in the Riverside area, probably should uh, reach out to Patrick and see if they can add some value. Sounds to me like he's got his act together and he's providing value to his community. And I mean, that's all we can hope for. And he's a great example of what other chambers should be doing. And I know a lot of people watch this from different locations. 
And they've, uh, I mean, I've learned some new things about what the chamber can and cannot do. I love the fact the advocacy portion. I mean, the first thing I thought of is, is, is do they also provide a lobbying because he brought up Sacramento. And so um, advocacy is one thing, lobbying is another. And then having Abbott in their chamber uh, would lead me to another scenario where about your foundation, right? How would you continue to build that value of the foundation to then provide those micro loans? It seems like he's got a synergistic relationship going on. That's a way to, uh, Really pull the big players, small players together, add value to the community. I think he's doing a wonderful job. Thank you. Yeah, and actually, that just mm-hmm. that's a good point is because I think sometimes we get confused in that advocacy versus lobby aspect. So we don't we're we're not lobbyists. We're not registered lobbyists. We don't do lobbying on on the hill. We advocate for our businesses. So we we take positions on bills that are going through Sacramento. We go and visit the legislate our legislators up in Sacramento, or we visit them when they're back here in their district, and we talk to them about business. Um, those are the that's what advocating is. Advocating is is informing them with what what impact certain things are going to have on businesses. Um, lobbying is a different level. That's that's an interesting dynamic too that's going on discussion wise in D.C. because because chambers got left out of the PPP. We don't, yep. we didn't get a, get to take mm. advantage of the PPP program, even though so many chambers could utilize that right now to keep from laying people off. But, but DC looks as chambers as lobbying groups when we're not. We advocate, but we don't lobby. Mm. There's a big yep. difference there. That's right. Cause I was speaking to one of my guys, United Strategies, that's a lobbyist. And he, he explained to me, he says, well, they do advocate. They advocate. They don't lobby. We lobby. And I said, well, do you lobby on behalf of them? And he says, no, I think they have lobbyists, but they're really lobbyists, but they're hiding behind being an advocate. And so I'm thinking, well, it sounds like mutual benefit, right? And then he said, well, lobbying is more strictly going after specifically trying to get you over the hump. Right. Uh, they're trying They're trying to promote business and business practices and yeah. support their community of businesses. So they have a they're taking care of a family where a lobbyist is going after either yeah. a specific industry or a specific uh, process. And so there's a difference there. The, the really, really, the, well, the, you know what, the, and, the dirt of it is, is a lobbyist, they get to spend money on it. As advocates, we don't get to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> you got to yeah. use sweetness, huh? That's right. That's it. Right on. Yeah, well, and, and now it's looking at the chamber structure, right? There's a state chamber that a lot of times puts more – uh, federal or, you know, more state kind of communication up there and the local, you know, uh, are, are spending more time, like you said, with right. your local yep. representatives than you are at the state yep. level. Yeah. So amazing how much stuff goes on. So, so Patrick, people want to reach out and connect with you. What's the best um, way to do that? I mean, you can go on our website. Our website's, it's pretty easy. It's w, it's, uh, mwcoc.org. So myriad of Wildemar Chamber Commerce.org. Um, that's our website. Um, but you can email me. It's Patrick at mwcoc.org. You can uh, call me. My cell phone's on everything. So it's 805-338-8625. Uh, but yeah, reach out. Uh, you know, I'd love to, I, you know, kind of like what you were saying, Brad, I, I, I believe in sharing best practices. Uh, it's one thing that we do in our industry a lot um, because we believe in, you know, the high tide raises all ships. And, and the more we, the more we work together, the more we share and, collaborate the better off everybody is well said well it. said and jim it, it, you know if they want to reach out and connect with you what's the best way to do that well, several ways um one would be go to the maker that's uh 
basically gives us our radio show. The last year we were on Fox and we were on iHeartRadio. So that's available at MakerKings.com or SunXSolutions.com. And I probably have 35 other ones, but that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of <laughs> That's awesome. And if everybody wants to reach out to me and they need just to talk, they have some questions, some business, they, they're, they're stuck, they're struggling, they're hurting, whatever it is, um, you can simply go to callwithbrad.com and you can book yourself an appointment, free talk with me, and we can just talk. And so everybody, thank you for all the ways that you all serve and the way that we are, are, are really helping out the business community. And uh, let's keep doing great, great. things. Fantastic. Thanks, Jim. Nice awesome. to meet you. Thank Take you, everyone. See you Greetings, Greatness Garage guys and gals. This is your producer, Brennan, and I'd like to tell you about my YouTube series called Your Blue Continent, where every week I visit with development agencies all over the world in places like Ethiopia, the Congo, Bangladesh, and Myanmar, observing new and innovative solutions to chronic problems affecting people all over the world. The only way we're ever going to eliminate our problems with poverty and immigration for good is when we've helped these places achieve true sustainability for themselves. And my series celebrates the frontline agencies bringing this about in brand new ways. That's Your Blue Continent on YouTube. Check it out.